This morning's scripture is going to be from Ephesians in chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 25 through 32. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. Uh, as you're turning there, just a reminder, Ephesians is a book written by Paul to a group of Christians in a city called Ephesus. And in that city, you're going to have uh, Christians from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds culturally. And Paul has been explaining how through the grace of God, they have become united with Christ. And since they're united with Christ, they're united with each other. And that the way they become united with Christ is the same way that they uh, become, it's the same way for both of them. Uh, there's not different ways to God depending on who you are or where you came from. There's one way. And that one way is through Christ and through the grace of God that he has shown us in Christ. And so we're going to go ahead and dive in to our passage today, Ephesians chapter 4, 25 through 32. And we're going to read that together and ask the Lord's help in understanding it. So we'll start with reading it, Ephesians 4, there in verse 25. Word of God says, Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, thank you for your word. And Father, we ask that as we look at your word, you would give us understanding of it, that you would teach us from your word, by your spirit, how to obey your, your word that you would use your word to conform us more into the image of Christ, that you would strengthen our faith, and that you would transform us by the renewal of our minds from your word, by your spirit, and by your grace. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so the other day, uh, and when I say the other day, I have a bad habit of when I say the other day, I, sometimes I'm talking about like several years ago, but this was only a couple of months ago, like six months ago. And so like six months ago, uh, Kristen and I are in Nacogdoches and meeting Ashley up for somewhere. And sometimes I'm really bullheaded. Like it's kind of a problem sometimes. And so we're driving and everyone is telling me that I'm going the wrong way. And I'm like, I know where I'm going. I'm going the right way. It's the way that I've always gone. I got this. We're good. And as we're driving, I noticed a, a sign that said Henderson, so many miles. And I'm thinking, Henderson, that's the opposite direction of where I'm trying to go. I'm trying to go to Lufkin. And I, so I was like, eh, I know where I'm going. I keep going, keep going. And then I saw that I'm getting closer to Henderson and I've seen no signs for Lufkin. And guess what I had to do? One, I had to admit that I was wrong and apologize for being bullheaded. But I had to stop, turn around, and go the other direction. In other words, I had to repent. After all, that is really what repentance is. It's a stop and a turnaround. I was going one way, 
and now I'm going another direction. And so today, what, what this passage has a lot to do with, it has a lot to do with repentance. A key discipline in the Christian life is this, is this discipline of repenting. Uh, when Jesus first began his ministry, in uh, Mark chapter 1, we read that he proclaimed the gospel, saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. And so a key part of the Christian life is this idea of repentance. And sometimes we fall into a couple of errors or misunderstandings about what repentance is. Uh, Sometimes when we think of repentance, we think that repentance is simply saying, God, I'm sorry. And asking God for forgiveness. Like we confess our sins and we're asking God, hey, God, please forgive me for this sin that I have committed. And, And certainly that may be part of what repentance is because repentance does involve acknowledging our sin but repentance is more than confession repentance is more than asking for forgiveness another thing we might fall into is thinking that that repentance isn't even really all that necessary Uh, after all if we're saved by grace why in the world should i repent anyway i should be able to keep doing whatever i want to do and i should be fine Um, and the problem with that though is that The Bible tells us in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, if I'm saved all by grace, can't I just continue to live how I want to without any care in the world? And then it goes on to say into verse 2, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? You see, when we come to Christ, when we trust Christ, We are united in the death of Christ. And what did Christ die for? He died for our sin. He paid for our sin on the cross. And so sometimes we have this idea of repentance that it's not really necessary. And sometimes we may not even realize that what we're doing is sin sometimes. There is rebellion against God and we need God to awaken us up to that. And so... As we look at this passage today, we're going to see that Paul encourages the Christians that are in Ephesus to live a life of repentance. And he bases that in the need to give God glory instead of grief. To give God glory instead of grief. And so, as we look at this passage, what we're going to see is that since God is grieved by the sins of his people, we should live a life of repentance. And that's really, that's what I, what, what I want us to understand today from this word. What I think God's trying to show us today is that we as Christians can live a life of repentance to the glory of God. And so let's just go ahead and dive right into this. Uh, we talk a lot about, what, about repentance. And I've said what it's not. Like it's not just confession. Like it's going to involve that, right? But repentance is, is more than that. And, and Paul gives us a, a good example, actually like four examples of this idea of repentance that we look in here. So if we're trying to like answer the question, what is repentance? I believe the answer from this passage is that repentance is turning from sin toward God. Turning from sin toward God. And we're going to start there at verse 25 and just kind of work through this passage looking at what repentance is. Uh, We see it's going to be a a change of thought. It's going to be a change of action concerning our sin. It's it's turning from our sin toward God. Kind of like me driving down the road. I had to stop, turn around, and go in the other direction. When we talk about repentance, that's what we're talking about. We're stopping our sinful thoughts. 
stopping our sinful actions, our words, our motives, and we're turning toward uh, the righteous obedience that God desires. Turning toward God and obedience to God. One definition of repentance from, from the Spurgeon Catechism says, Repentance unto life is a saving grace. In other words, it's, it's something given to us by God, by His grace, uh, whereby we, out of a true sense of our sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, with grief and hatred of our sin, turn from it toward God with full purpose of and striving after new obedience. Uh, in, in other words, when God makes us realize that we're in sin and we need to stop, he gives us the ability to stop, hate our sin, and turn toward God and strive after God and his holiness. And so to help us understand this idea of re repentance, Paul gives us some examples here in this passage that we are going to dive into that really reveal to us a, a pattern that develops when we're trying to repent. And so as we look through these verses, what I want you to notice is the pattern of stopping and starting. As we go through this, there is a pattern of stopping something and starting something else. Stopping a sin and starting the righteous opposite of that sin. So let's go ahead and look here at verse 25. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, in other words, like lying, deceit, those type of things, having put away falsehood, lies, deceit, let each one of you, and that you there is talking about Christians, those that are following Christ, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. And so you see the stop there. Put away all falsehood. Stop lying. Stop, de stop deceiving. And then start speaking the truth to one another. So you have that stopping of sin and that starting of righteousness, stopping the lying and starting to speak the truth. And he roots that in, for we are all members of one another. In other words, we're united together in Christ. We ought to be able to speak the truth to one another. Is my left hand going to lie to my right hand, right? Am I going to lie to myself? I guess we could lie to ourselves if we're trying to deceive ourselves, but that's not normal, right? To just lie to ourselves. And what we're saying is that we are all one in Christ. We are members of the same body. And if members of the same body, we want to speak the truth to one another and not deceive one another because we know that the father of all lies is not God, the devil. And we don't want to act like the devil. We want to pursue Christ and Christ-likeness. And so we see there in Ephesians 25, the idea of putting away all falsehood and speaking the truth to one another. We see another pattern of stopping and starting there in 26 and 27. Bible says, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And so there you kind of have this contrast between a, a righteous anger and a unrighteous, uncontrollable anger. Um, notice there it says, be angry, but do not sin in your anger. That's the idea there. And so the, the idea he's telling us to stop is the idea of stop sinning in your anger. Don't be uncontrolled in your anger, yet have self-controlled righteous anger if you have one. But not only that, it says don't let the sun go down on your anger when you're angry. Don't let it go down on your anger. Uh, have you ever been to bed when you're just angry? One, you don't sleep great. But two, you wake up and you're still mad and it feels like you're even madder than you were to begin with. The idea there that Paul's presenting is that if we allow anger to fester up inside of us, it's kind of like when you get a splinter 
and it can't come out and just festers and festers and festers and festers until your body just pushes it out. But it gets worse and worse and worse and sometimes infected. When we allow our anger to control us, when we sin in our anger, we give opportunity for the devil to divide us. We give opportunity for the devil to capture us. And so we have this idea of stopping our anger or our angry sin and turning to God, trying to do what we can to live at peace with everybody. We also see that the idea of theft, let the thief, verse 28, let the thief no longer steal. And so there's a stopping there. Don't steal. Rather, labor, do honest work with your hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And so the idea there is out with the greed, in with the generosity. Out with the greed. Because greed is go- and laziness are going to be the motives for theft. And so Paul addresses the opposite of that, the righteous opposite of that, of instead of laziness, hard work, labor. Instead of greed, generosity. And so stopping that which dishonors God and doesn't love our neighbor and starting that that honors God and loves our neighbor. But we also see verse 29, another idea of what repentance might look like. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Uh, The idea of corrupting talk there is like the idea of rotten flesh. That's the idea that it's presenting there. And so let no rotten talk come out of your mouths. And so stopping that and starting only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear, which sometimes makes us pause and think, right? Like is what I'm saying helping to build somebody up? Is what I'm saying fitting the occasion that I'm in that it will provide um, the truth of God's word that we're supposed to be speaking to one another. They will provide this grace to those who hear. And so we have this idea of stopping the corrupting talk and starting the grace-filled truth that God has given us. And then we see another stopping and starting there in verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness be put away among you. And those in all those things we see there in 31, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice, I really think that bitterness is there first because each of those things come from a heart that is bitter. If we have a bitter heart, we're going to end up being wrathful and angry. We're going to be clamoring. We're going to walk around making a big stink out of things. We're going to slander, tear others down. And we're told to put all those things away from us along with all malice, our motive of wanting to do somebody harm, putting all those things away in order to put on love. Or kindness there, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgave you. And so you have this idea there in each of those circumstances of this stopping a sin and turning toward the righteous obedience that God desires. And that really is what repentance is. It is a stopping of our sin and a turning toward God. And so we ask ourselves, are you turning away from your sin? Do you acknowledge the sin in your life and flee from it? Are you pursuing a deeper relationship with God through obedience of faith? You see, as a child of God, we're called to turn from our sin. We're called to flee from those things and to turn toward God in faith and in righteousness. You're, You're called by God. I'm called by God to repent, to turn from my sin toward God. And so are you repenting? You know, I asked earlier, 
or I mentioned earlier that, that sometimes we don't see the need for repentance. And so we also see here in verse 30, one of the reasons why we should repent. And that is that your sin causes God's sorrow. If you are a child of God, if you have trusted Christ, your sin causes God's sorrow. Sometimes we don't think about that. I know I, I, I've heard this passage before, but for some reason this week, it really actually clicked in my mind that my personal sin, your personal sin, if you're a follower of Christ, it grieves the Holy Spirit. There in verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The idea there is that by our sin, we, we bring God's sorrow when we're his people. And if we follow Christ and we're wanting to glorify God, then when we don't do that or we're not turning from our sin, we're, we're causing God grief. We're causing him sorrow. And there's really only two responses towards sin that God is going to have. If, you're an un, if you don't follow Christ, if you're not trusting Christ, then God's response to your sin is not grief, but anger. Not grief, but anger. It's wrath. All sin must be paid for, all of it, and it will be paid for. The question is, did Jesus pay for it on the cross, or are you going to pay for it for all eternity? That's the question. And the only way you can know the answer is if you trust Christ or not. You see, if you trust and believe the gospel, the good news, that that God became a man to save us from our sins, that he took our sin on the cross where he bled, he died, and he was buried, and three days later rose from the dead, paying for our sins, that we might be forgiven, that we might have eternal life. If you believe that true story, that true good news message of Jesus, then you can know that your sins have been paid for on the cross. And if you have trusted Christ, then you also need to know that when you continue in sin, it causes God sorrow. It grieves God. But why? One of the reasons why I believe this is so is because God is holy. A lot of times we, we underestimate the holiness of God and underestimate the seriousness of our sin. But in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, Isaiah is, has his vision, he's in the spirit, and he's seeing God on his throne. And in, in, in the process of that vision, he sees these, these angelic beings above God, praising God. And, they, and he writes this in Isaiah 6, 3, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. Do you see how many times they repeated that word? Three times. It's like in our English language, it doesn't do it quite justice of the the meaning that's trying to be conveyed. But I remember back when I was when I was in school, and this like the biggest thing I learned when I was in my reading class was like the idea of the 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 adjective then a more significant form of this description, and then the greatest description of the form. And so like we could read it almost as saying holy, holier, holiest. And that would be God. God is holy, holier, holiest. And because of his holiness, because of his glory, sin 
brings forth grief. We see the same idea in Revelations 4, verse 8. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, and are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You see, God is holy, and because he is holy, he's going to have two responses to our sin. If we're unbelievers, if we don't follow Christ, the response is anger. If we follow Christ and we trust him, the response is sorrow. And this is why. We read this in Ephesians 1 that in Christ, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessings. One of those blessings is that we have been chosen in God before the foundations of the world in order to be holy and blameless before him. His purpose in saving you is so that you would be holy and blameless. Holy and blameless before him. You see, Jesus, he lived a blameless and a sinless life. He took our sins on himself and he laid down his life on the cross. He rose up from the grave, leaving our sins behind. And the Holy Spirit has sealed us in Jesus through our faith. And since Jesus paid for our sins, we that have believed in Jesus are counted as holy and blameless. That's our new identity in Christ. We're no longer identified by our sin. We're no longer identified by the things we've done in our past. If we have trusted Christ, we are considered and identified with Christ, identified as holy and as blameless. And so the Holy Spirit inside of us, he works alongside us and in us and with us, helping us to become who we really are in Christ, helping us to become holy and blameless in our thoughts, in our actions, in our words, in everything that we do, our motives. The Holy Spirit helps us to become holy and blameless in reality, just like we are counted as and identified as in Christ. So when you, as a follower of Jesus, Sin, you cause God sorrow. And so when you think of the things that you think about, do you cause God sorrow with your thoughts? Do you cause God sorrow with your motives, why you do what you do? Do you cause God sorrow with the actions that you take? With the words that you speak to him or to other people, do you cause God sorrow? Have you ever even thought about that, that your sin causes God's sorrow? I know I, I haven't spent much time thinking about that. I am now. I'm thinking about that now. But sometimes I think we forget that. So have you spent time thinking about how your sin causes God's sorrow? It grieves the Holy Spirit. You see, God desires that you as his child become who you are in Christ. That you bear the family resemblance as a son of God. Because By nature of being a son of God, you are holy. You are blameless. And by the Holy Spirit's work in our life, we begin to resemble the family. Holy and blameless. So when you reject that desire of God for you to be holy and blameless, you cause God sorrow. So do you desire to cause God sorrow? If the answer is yes, continue in your sin. But if you desire to glorify God, then I would encourage you to turn from your sin and turn toward him. Encourage myself the same thing. Turn from my sin and turn toward him. Because that's what repentance is. It's a turning from sin, turning to God. 
and his righteousness and his works. Stopping sin, starting righteousness. And we repent because repentance causes God's sorrow. Since our sin grieves God, we should and we can live a life of repentance. And I believe from having looked at this passage that we see really three steps toward that. One of those is to identify and acknowledge our sin. Uh, We read in the Psalms of David where David sometimes did not know what his sin was. And so what did he do? He asked God, Lord, reveal to me any unclean way in me. And maybe that's you today. You don't know exactly what it is that you're, you're struggling with, but you know you're not perfect. Ask the Lord to help you see what it is that you need to lay down and turn from. And so the, the first step in it is just identifying what your sin is, acknowledging sin as sin. The second step, stopping that sin. And then the third step, turning toward God in faithful obedience. Acknowledging sin, stopping sin, and turning toward God. Imagine repentance as a, as a man who's walking in one direction, suddenly realizes that while he's walking in that direction, he needs to be going the other way. So he stops, turns around. That's going to be pretty fast, right? Like if I'm walking, I stop and I turn around, it's fast. Well, let's say that I'm on a bike and I'm riding this bike and I realize I'm going the wrong direction. I'm going to have to slow down. But if I, if I slow down too much, I might go like head over heels, right? And like hurt myself. So I got to slow down more slower and turn around. That's going to take a little bit more time. Let's say I'm in a car and I'm driving. I'm going the wrong way in a car and I realize I'm going the wrong way. I need to go another way. That's going to take a little bit longer to stop and turn around than it's going to with a bike. And a whole lot longer than it's going to take to stop and turn around if I am walking and doing that. Uh, let's say, though, that I am in a giant ship. And I'm driving this giant ship, and I realize I'm going the wrong way. I need to turn completely around. That's going to take a while. That ship, it takes a while to slow down, takes a while to turn around, and takes a while to head back in the other direction. Now, I want you to think about that in terms of repentance. Some sins are small. They're easy to stop. They're easy to stop and, and walk away from. Some sins are a little bit more difficult. And in God's work in our, in our lives, it takes a little time for us to come to an awareness of the fact that we're in sin and to turn from that. But some sins are so enormous, so deeply ingrained inside of us that at times and at first we are not willing to turn at first. We don't recognize them as sin, but God patiently works with inside of us, showing us the right way breaking apart piece by piece that little bit of flesh that's still there that God's working on and helps us to turn around. So I want to encourage you this morning. Some of you, no doubt there are sins in your life that you turned from and it was easy and you did it. But I also want to encourage you because you may be here today, you may be hearing this and you're like, man, I'm trying. I'm trying to turn from this sin, whatever it is. I'm trying to turn from this rebellion. And it's, it's hard. It's like, it, like when you read Romans 7, you really feel that. That what Paul says, when like the things I don't want to do, I still do. The things I, I wish I did, I don't do. Maybe you really feel that. And you're struggling with that. Can I encourage you that it is God's will for you to stop and turn from those things. And he's going to work with you and in you to do that. So keep praying. Keep trusting him. 
Find others that can help pray alongside you and help you through that turning away from that sin, through that repentance. Because He will do that. He will do that. You see, our sin grieves God, but our repentance glorifies Him. Our sin grieves God, but our repentance glorifies Him. What do you need to start the process of turning from today so that you glorify God and not grieve Him in the days that come? Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You for Your Word. And Father, I I just want to lift all of us up to You, Lord, that You would reveal to us any unclean way inside of us. And Father, that by Your grace, You would give us the ability to repent, to turn from those things. Father, we know that this is not something we can do on our own, that it is by your grace. And so, Father, give each of us a special measure of your grace uh, that, that would lead us into repentance, the turning from sin and turning to you. Father, we as a church, we as believers, we want to glorify you in our life. So, Father, we ask that you would help us to, to do that as we follow you and turn from our, our sin and turn toward you. And, Father, we, we know that not everyone... Um, might be a follower of you right now. And so, Father, we pray that they would hear of your grace as that's been mentioned today, that, that you would just soften their heart towards you and that you would bring them to a place where they can trust you, uh, maybe for the first time. They can trust you and begin that process of becoming more and more holy, more and more like you, knowing that we they're a part of your family and we're a part of that family and how we're all in this together by the Spirit of God working inside of us. And so, Father, we thank you for your work in our life. Help us to glorify you with each thing we do. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.